Okay. Stays here, I share for 10 minutes. Uh, somebody's time? Yeah, we'll take more or less. May get seven and three minutes, please. Three minutes warning, Michael. Okay. Please. Uh, My name is Tarafa, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Tarafa. You know me if you don't say your, my name better than my family members, so we get that clear. One say I'm an alcoholic. I'm home, so I'm grateful I get to be sober today, most importantly. Grateful to be part of the meeting. Grateful I get time with my sponsor. I can get him a fortune. Uh, Lisa, really happy to see you. I'm happy to be here. Because I sit here, that was not the idea when I came in, but nothing makes me happy more than alcoholics anonymous. I promise you that. I have nothing else to count on. Some say this is a crisis or something, you know, like something of something we depend on. I have no excuse or apology for that. I depend on alcoholics anonymous. If I don't depend on alcoholics anonymous, I'll be dependent on something else. That'd be somebody else's validation, somebody else's admiration, somebody else's approval. Because there's nobody inside here. Because of Alcoholics Anonymous, I get to feel like a human being. And um, Don sponsored a man named Scott Redman, who sponsored me. Says the greatest achievement you can have in Alcoholics Anonymous is to be a human being and a child of God. That's a very comfortable place to be. Um, it's not even convenient for me to come here, especially I asked him that if I just, if he's gonna speak somewhere, he's been doing it for quite a while, he says yes to a request, and that's, we get to pass on and we get to learn from each other. Congratulations on your chip. And congratulations to the young lady who took a chip. Um, I too have no no other means of staying sober than staying close to Alcoholics Anonymous, imitate the people who went before me. Winners include for me a newcomer, somebody hurting and struggling to stay sober. Not people who learn and accomplish. It excludes nobody. Just like um, the second tradition says, for our group purpose, there is one authority, a loving God that makes presence in our group consciousness. It includes an atheist, agnostic, where we come from, what we look like, none of it matters. That I'm an alcoholic, you're an alcoholic, you are, you're part of my half hour to keep me sober. A man named Steve Borner, when I came to Radford Clubhouse, uh, an early sobriety, said an alcoholic synonymous one and one is three. Sounded witty, but I didn't get it. Apparently that came from the biblical term of whatever two or more gathered. And now that connects to the way our founder make the bill, couldn't do it by himself, so he seek God. Now there are millions of us all over the world. If it be new, I promise you sobriety is absolutely doable. 
there is a non-negotiable way about it that we got to do it together. I'm grateful I don't take fiber and I'm grateful of every fiber on my body. Not because of the length of the time, because sobriety has been possible. The most important thing today, but God and Alcoholics Anonymous for quitter like me made it possible to stay with you guys and do what you do and tell you the truth. Don't drink at night. Don't drink away from you because you gave me that energy. You gave me away from you. I'll, I'll be thinking about you. I'll be reflecting your experience. I'll be remembering your compassion. I come back for this because they, you made the showing the showing up easy for me than anything else in life. That's impossible a day at a time. It's our success and not mine. Since November 22nd, 1988. A little bit 33 and a half years ago. And I've known Don for all that time. Um, he, he asked me to come to a meeting. Uh, actually, he, I'm one of those guys that hasn't lost a lot of, in life, that I didn't have a lot except me, myself, and I stories of drinking in nightclubs and try to present myself to somebody. And don't you know who I am, but I look in the mirror and who, who the hell am I? Is that my thing? And when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, that the realities I didn't face, they came by and I ended up giving up the apartment because I didn't pay rent for quite a while. The landlord said, if I didn't love you like my son and if I didn't, you know, you don't have to be stuck with five months rent. Would you give my place or you want to go to court next three more months? And by this time it's been about 30 days of sobriety. I've been taken to Alcoholics Anonymous and apparently injected a little bit of integrity in me. I said, you know, he's right. So I gave us a place, put my clothes in a storage, slept in a car and um, sometimes couch, you know, couch from couch. So, but there was more freedom in that than having X amount of dollars in the banks and doing the nightclubs and not sleeping and all that kind of stuff. So Dan heard the story, he said, I never made him. He came over and said, I heard kid, I heard you like the sobriety deal. I'm going to New York and you can have my kin. This is my place. Said, what kind of people are this? As long as he trusted me, he trusted the program. So it's been that long. Just to qualify for the new guys, um, Briefly, if I may, I'm just going to talk about my last day of drinking. A week before that, drinking stopped working. The other drugs stopped working, but I don't have nowhere else to go, so I kept doing the same thing over and over again. Didn't take the pain away. Got deeper. What, is, what was the solution? It was no longer a solution, so there is no solution. But except to go back. So. I tried to avoid consequences when I was drinking, so I would take a taxi. That would give me enough leverage to get drunk at home and walk into a nightclub looking like somebody, feeling like somebody. And that night, nothing worked. And uh, I had some drugs walking behind the bar in the bathroom, going back and forth, nothing worked. Five minutes, three minutes. So I went home. Before I got home, nothing works. There's no euphoria, there's no relief. Um, for once, the clarity hit me. I said, my mother is in Ethiopia, like so many miles away. And I said, I'm going to call her and tell the truth. 
It's not that I intended to get sober or I had a plan A, B, C. I just want to tell her the truth. I picked up a phone, didn't close the door behind me so I don't change my mind. I said, mother, I'm calling you because I'm drunk. She said, what's gonna happen? I said, I don't know. I did this, I did this, I did this one. So it was a list of everything that I was ashamed about. So what are you gonna do? I said, I'll call you in a week. Within that week, I suppose that was my biggest prayer. I ended up meeting somebody who was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, who didn't bring the anonymity. It was a date. Next morning, the lady said, did you mean what she said? What did I say? You're a gentleman, you didn't push it on me, but you gave me the permit. This is the drug, the alcohol, but you keep telling me that I wish I was free. I wish I was free. Do you mean that? So, yeah, actually, I've been saying that in a whole lot of places. <coughs> Say, would you like to go to a place where people help each start the sober? Thank God she didn't say she was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. If she said she was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, I knew all about the things I don't know. <laughs> I said, okay, and I followed her. It was the Radford Clubhouse, 4343 Radford. That was November 11, 1988. Walked in a noon meeting. She was blonde and she was about 5'10", and I thought everybody hated my guts because we were a mixed couple. So they were self-centered about me. So I was looking for another black person to walk in the room to get to validate myself, it didn't happen. I keep looking at the door like a lost boy, nothing happened. And then I turned around to the podium and started listening to people. I found myself in a place like I'd never been before. When I yearned for that, when I longed for that, my friend said, hey, Take life too seriously. Drink some, smoke some, or like, you know, just lighten up. So by the time the meeting was wo over, I was walking out of the door. I said, "Thank you, God, there's no other black person in the room because I would have missed what we call here, the language of the heart." That was a big clarity. Then the biggest lesson the following event was that clarity is a fleeting moment, just like we read in chapter three. If it didn't follow by action and consistent action. Make story short to be timely. I end up my once I get myself and find in a nightclub, ordering a drink <coughs> this time. The first sip I took, everything I didn't think I heard came back. What we call here, the story written, the thing these guys said before. Belly full of booze and head full of AA. <coughs> the shame, the guilt. I said, I turn around to my friends, say, "What can I find? Some drugs." We went over there. Thank you. We went over there, and um, of course the pain is much bigger around now, so it was my consumption. It went on, it was vengeance, nothing worked. My body's reacting like the effect of the drugs and the, uh, the alcohol, the slam in it. So I go to the bathroom, and wash, before I wash my hand, I lost my sight completely. Absolute pitch darkness. If I close my eyes now, you see the red veins, the blood vessels and all that. It was like the scariest moment but I knew I had nobody to blame. I knew I did it. If I scream, if I yell for help, it's gonna be real. Intuitively, the only thing left for me was, I don't know, I felt like, I got down my knee, put my hand in the toilet bowl, I said, nothing, God, 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 I wasn't gonna get up from there. So my sight comes back slightly. I get up, wash my mouth, go to the living room. They didn't miss me, they're doing what they're doing. Stretch my leg, pass me the drink was the next thing I say. That I need to say over and over again to reflect that my personal understanding of God, me being an alcoholic, whether it's a support of Alcoholics Anonymous, merely a superstition, self-seeking, just dream for me. So God and Alcoholics Anonymous are not different for me.
I don't pray for fellowship. I get down to my knee and say, please, God, help me stay sober. At the end of the night, I feel better. Before I climb to bed, I say, thank you, God, for keeping me sober. And uh, thanks for the day. So that dream was that lady. I said, I've been dreaming about this. I wish I could be free. That has been attainable every single day for this long. But I need to, not, I cannot stop by saying that my sobriety is this consistent day. So it hasn't been accomplished on my own virtue. I don't differentiate myself. I can't afford to. That's not the principle of the program. <coughs> I learned not to try to, to be good institutions. It's a fact that the guys who got me sober built my days, my $20, my food, my job, the couch, are some of them have interrupted sobriety. It's not a competition. If we sober today, if you're hurting, I'm glad you're here. I pray that you keep coming back the next day. The best original thing I can do for my life is be an imitator of those people who are trying to stay sober. Now it becomes, I want, and that's only, saying all this, I promise you that sincere they can be is only this, but that's only matters for now. <coughs> Tomorrow I keep, I hope I plug in myself to Alcoholics Anonymous, stay sober another day. Thank you for letting me share. Uh, seventh tradition, we are self-supporting our own contribution. Our speaker tonight is none other than uh, my sponsor, Don M. I gotta push this. I get a piece of the action on this. My name is Don, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Don. And uh, it, it's a pleasure being here, and what a, what a neat deal. And we did find it. Uh, with, between the raindrops, and 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 I'm say again. I guess I'm hearing things already. Okay, uh, and I'm sober a while too. For crying out loud, you know, uh, I, you know uh, it, it's Drafa uh, I, 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 and I are from Los Angeles, and you can tell that because I wore suede in the rain. Okay, uh, it wasn't raining when we left, but uh, you know, and, and I'm happy to be here. And, uh, and as we uh, came up uh, grand, we passed Mauna Loa, where my, uh, my sister and, and, uh, and, and niece used to live. Uh, they sold the house a long time ago, but it was, it was fun to come over here and, and, uh, and go by some, some landmarks. And, uh, and it's a, a pleasure to join you guys. And, uh, you know, I, I, one never knows uh, uh, how anyone would perceive them. And, you know, and I hear the guy from coming in and, uh, he's standing up at the podium, and he, he, he might be a, a kindly old grandfather, perhaps, you know. Uh-uh. I'm a gangster, all right? I'm here to, I'm here to tell you, don't, don't let the suede jacket that my wife put on me uh, fool you. Uh, you know, and uh, I won't go through uh, all of that, because we have stories, but in my, in, in my story, there, there were a few arrests, uh, you know, and... Uh, uh, and 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 a, and a few a few uh, you know probably no human power would have relieved our alcoholism. I did not hear that. I kept looking for that that right blonde on my arm that was gonna gonna take care of it. You know and uh, and you know and, and the, the deal is is you know I, I was younger and 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 uh, you know a couple ladies uh, took a shine to me 
I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know you guys. The beautiful part about coming to a meeting where you don't know anyone except two people is uh, you don't know who to resent. So, you know, that, that makes it a lot easier for you to just enjoy the meeting. You know, so, but, you know, it's like uh, always looking for this woman to, to save me. And, and ladies, uh, uh, you're looking at a man who is not afraid of commitment. I'll, I'll marry you in a, in a hot second if, if you have a job. And, uh, and I, I'm not, I, I don't know if I hold the record in this room, but I do, you know, I, I got to be honest with you so you know who you're dealing with. In my lifetime, I have had eight wives. Oh, thank you. Only, only three of them were mine, though, you know. That's, but I like to brag about the other ones, you know, because, you know, I, I, I live in the past a, a lot. And uh, but you know what? No, and and they would they would see this fellow with a great potential, and oh my gosh, you know, with my help, uh, we're going to rise to the top, and we'll be in a house on the hill. And what happens if you take potential over here, and alcohol over here? Alcohol will kick butt on potential every single time, and that's what uh, kept happening to me. And then uh, these ladies would get get tired and they'd leave and so forth and you know like I say uh, and and uh, you know uh, a lot of uh, Tarafa was w welcoming anyone who might have come back uh, I I uh, I only had to go away once uh, I came to alcohol Alcoholics Anonymous in 1969 uh, at the uh, uh, you know the invitation of a judge uh, he had uh, told me that I had to come uh, something about me being caught over in Hollywood with a, all right, it was a machine gun, but you know, it, it, it wasn't my fault. And, and, and you guys will understand this, it was my girlfriend's fault because I was keeping the gun at her house because you know, the cops are always over at my house, so it'd be silly to keep it in my house. And she got mad at me and she said, go away, I don't ever want to see you again and take this with you. You know, you know how a woman holds a machine gun, you know, like this. And, and, and so I, I yelled at her or something and told her she'd never find anyone like me again. And she said, oh my God, I hope so. And, and uh, off I went and I would have never gotten arrested if I would have just shut my mouth, gone down to my car, opened the trunk, put the gun in the trunk and driven home. The problem was I didn't have a car at the moment. I, uh, I meant to have a car, uh, you know, uh, but I was between cars, so to speak. And uh, so there I was in Hollywood. I needed to get back to North Hollywood. And uh, so I'm walking up the street and I figure, well, what the heck, if I got to walk up the street, I might as well look cool going up the street. So there I was. And someone was peeping out their window at three o'clock in the morning and sees this uh, big guy up there with a, you know, whatever. And, and ratted me out to the cops. And here they come and a bunch of lights blazing and everything. And I know I'm in trouble because I know that I'm not supposed to have this and I know I've been drinking. And so I put the gun in the bushes real quick and then tried to look nonchalant, you know what I'm saying? And the, the cops that came up and they said, we're looking for a, a six foot four guy with a beard and a rifle. And I said, officer, I understand that perfectly. This neighborhood's dangerous. That's why I'm trying to leave. And he did not think that was funny. And he said, look, punk. Nobody calls me punk, except uh, my gun was in the bushes and he had his. So I just said, officer, 
uh, if, if I tell you where that gun is, would you not arrest me? And he said, Don, I said, now look at the people that are around. I got my sergeants here. I got to do something. If you tell me where the gun is, my word of honor as an officer, I will not arrest you. So I thought it over with this mind in which there is a peculiar mental twist. And I said, should I take the, uh, the misdemeanor of $25 fine for being drunk on the street? or the felony behind bush number two over here. And you already know me well enough to know what I did, don't you? I told him where it was. And, and then this, this kid goes over there and he, he you know, what a, a drama queen he was. He's holding the gun up in the air like they'd caught Oswald, you know, and the people on the curb are, are clapping because they think they've caught Dillinger, you know, and you know. And I gotta be honest because of all the, the problems with the cops and people are you down on the cops. The man kept his word to me. He did not arrest me. He had his uh, partner come over and arrest me. So that was uh, technically, I think he slid. And I went, to, I went there and there I was with the, my, my lower companions, not realizing I was one of their lower companions. And the judge, uh, I, I pleaded it out to, oh, I, got a, I had my girlfriend got me a lawyer from Dickens and Shyster somewhere and, and pleaded me down to brandishing a firearm in the city limits. And, and uh, I, had, uh, I got one year probation, time served, and uh, six AA meetings. So, uh, you know, I'm feeling like I might have beat it, but I got to go to these uh, A&A people that you were talking about. And I heard, what a bunch of lames, you know? And, and, and so I, I go in there and I, I, but I figure, you know what? Uh, there might be a nice looking blonde in there. You just never know. And uh, so I went in there and um, it was a book study that afternoon, noon book study. And on top of that, the chapter was Two wives, so that's a, it was a thrill a minute, you know. But there is one good, really good thing about a book study is lots of parking. So you know, it was all right. I was able to find a parking space, uh, and, oh, I, and I was unable to find a parking space because I was between cars. I forgot I was between cars. I took the bus. It was twenty-five cents in those days. And I looked around and what a bunch of lames, you know, the, my children have come back to me and I have a job and I found a parking space out front and I thought, oh my God, I wouldn't have even drunk with them. But I was the only guy with a, a, a court card in the basket there, you know, so who was the lame, you know? So at the end of it, and they're talking about the wife and, you know, the poor husband and, you know, can't you take a drink in your own house for crying out loud that they're paying for? And so, and, and the deal is, is at the end, they grab you, whether you want them to or not, and they do the Lord's Prayer, and I knew, thank you, God, <laughs> you, I, he's liking this pitch so far, so anyway, uh, and, and, and they do this like this, and I'm thinking, oh, they've recognized me, uh, I'm, I'm the, in the middle of the wave here, and then I, uh, and all of a sudden, I'm looking over, and there's this blonde, and she's got blue eyes and I can see them all across the room and she comes walking up to me and I'm thinking oh my god I still got it and she says you're new aren't you I don't know how she knew that I said why yes I am and she said well come back tonight 
Yeah. All right. So I'm like excited. I better come back tonight. So I go home and I, I figure I, I got a nice clean shirt off the pile there, you know, and I put it on and I'm ready and I go in there and I'm looking around and you know what? She was not there. All right. You know, but I kind of, I know, I kind of like that though. Uh, I like a woman that plays uh, hard to get, but and and uh, she, I did run into her again. We never had a romantic encounter, but uh, she did introduce me to my sponsor, a fellow by the name of Cliff, a man in whom the problem had been solved, and he saw this guy that was, the, you know, who had an ego about the size of Wisconsin, you know, and Wisconsin's a swing state, so you know it could go any any way. And, and, and so he took me under his wing and, uh, and, uh, and he started me out uh, on, on Alcoholics Anonymous and, and on the steps, you know. And it, it, it wasn't a problem for me to admit that I was powerless over alcohol because I kept going to jail and I kept losing jobs and I kept not having a, you know, I, I could, anyone, I look at the heads going like this. Okay, so you guys do understand what I'm talking about. And so the, the deal is that uh, he said, uh, there is a step two, and he was pointing out this big book that you guys read, and he, he got me one because I didn't have, at, those time, at that time it was $4.99 for a big book, and I didn't have $4.99. I only had a quarter to get over there to the, to the place. And so, the, and, and what happened was we started out, he said, you know, and, and, and he did start me on the, the fourth step, and uh, I gotta admit that I, didn't do my four step right away. I can't change my sobriety. Uh, I, I meant to do my four step, but I found out that I was gonna have to stop blaming all those people other than me and look for my own defects of character and where I had gone wrong. And, and Clifford would come and, I'm gonna tell you, if you're working on a four step or a 10 step right now, take some advice from a guy who's been around a while don't, when your sponsor says, hey, how's that uh, four-step going? Don't say, oh, it's going great, because they will know you're lying, because if it's going great, you're saying, oh, my God, you know what I found out? I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm a thief. I don't accept the fact that another one of God's kids might be spiritually like sick like me. Uh, I'm a, an unlicensed mind reader. You know, I'm trying to play God, you know, and all that stuff when we're actually doing the writing. So, you know, just go ahead and tell the truth to your sponsor. It's not going to hurt. They, they don't bite for the very, well, a couple of them, I don't know, but uh, you, you got to be really careful. So the deal is, if you, if you want to do the work, you got to do the work. And that, that we even have a chapter called, There is a Solution, and it tells us about the work, and it's great. There's a solution. I'm not going to have to drink anymore. I'm not going to have to go to jail anymore. I might be able to stay married for over a couple of years. And, 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 but on page 25, unfortunately, it tells us what that solution is. And it tells us that almost no one likes the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confessions of shortcomings that the process requires for its successful consummation. So I got all excited, there's a solution, and now I'm gonna have to do some work, and I'm not gonna be able, be able to do the work on you guys, I gotta do the work on me. But old Clifford, man, he was, he'd been around a while, and he would drag me around, and and, uh, and, sit, and and at the end of a meeting, instead of just going and hitting on the, the ladies in the, in the meeting, he'd, we'd grab some drunk with one tooth, you know, and, and it had a cavity in it, too. So, you know, and, 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 and we'd, 
we'd talk to him and then Clifford would say, what about you, Don? And I'd say, well, uh, I haven't had a drink in, in uh, almost 90 days and my rent's paid and I have a bus pass. And, and you know, and, and we just kept doing this, 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 and this. And then what, what uh, happened for me that I think was what changed my life and what got me to write an inventory was I was 11 months sober and I was at a meeting and there was a, a young man from New Jersey. He was a, a biker, uh, 17 years old. He was a biker and, uh, and he came up to me and he said, uh, hey Don, would you be my sponsor? And I went, well, well, all right, let me just run it by Cliff over here. I'll be right back. And I went over to Clifford and I said, hey, Clifford, Steve wants me to be his sponsor. You know what my sponsor said to me right to my face? He said, poor Steve. <laughs> what the heck? I go to meetings with you. We go on 12-step cards, calls, you know, what's the deal? And he said, well, uh, you can tell him how not to drink for 11 months because you haven't had a drink in 11 months but you can't show him how to do a four-step because you haven't done one and you don't know how to listen to one and you're a mess. And I said, well, thank you for sharing. And uh, so, but I wanted to have a sponsee because I kept hearing you guys talk about how great it was to be able to walk in another man or woman's uh, life and help her or him along. And so I wanted to have this kid. So I'm over here and I'm thinking, um, I, I'm mad at my mother for not nursing me long enough. Uh, Stephen, we're powerless over alcohol. Our lives are becoming, uh, my daddy didn't come to my, my basketball game, you know. Uh, I came to believe in the power of ourselves. We're going to do it all over here. You know, I should have stopped kissing her when she went to sleep. But, and I don't, you know, whatever it was. I can't remember what the defects were, but they weren't very pretty, okay? And, and what happened is, I beat Stephen, and I then I was and and uh, and I said, "Whoa, this is pretty interesting," because I can't change them, but I can change me, and and I never knew that I was such a big piece of you know what, and uh, and uh, and so and, and then Stephen got his, and then we stayed sober and we started doing things and running around like the different meetings and so on and so forth, and then what happened? What again, something that might have helped me is uh, I, 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 another man came into my life and my little teeny life, now Stephen was in it, and this guy came in and he was a rock and roll singer from a big band, all right? And he got thrown out of that band for, are you ready? Drinking too much, all right? And that's hard to do in a rock and roll, but, but you know who I'm talking about, okay? And, uh, and so, uh, he managed it, and so now there we were, and we, and, and then another guy and another guy, and what happened is we were on fire about Alcoholics Anonymous, and and you know, and I started making those amends that that, that are talked about. I started getting. I always thought I was an older boy when I was a kid, you know, and that was in the tough time when you had to do it in Latin, you know. So some of you guys that are doing it now in English, but uh, you know, or Espanol, depending, and. Uh, you know, the, the deal is is that, that uh, it started getting better for me, and I started really enjoying it. And, and I started, and then I got a car, for crying out loud, which was awesome. And, and, it, and it, had, it had my name and the name of the woman who signed for me. All right, okay, all right. I wasn't quite there yet, okay? Okay, so, you know, there we're going, we're going along, and, and uh, 
uh, you know, and, and so I'm looking around and I dated a few gals and, and, and uh, uh, you know, Cl Clifford was funny, you know, Clifford, uh, I was in, 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 the, in the movie business and Clifford was in the movie business and I wanted to impress him. And, and uh, so I would be talking about women on location and this, that, and the other thing. And Clifford said, I don't care who you slept with. I just want to know you can stay sober uh, for another 24 hours. And I want you to go home and I want you to read page 69. <laughs> and I thought, oh man, this guy is jacking me around, you know. But I do what he asked me and I went home and I'm all excited because maybe it's going to tell me how to get more women and, and keep them this time. And what it says, and it's, uh, this, this was really disappointing. It said I can't be selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate, and that I can't unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness. I don't know what it's like in Glendora, but in LA, that cuts out about 96% of your action if you tell them the truth. I'm just telling you, okay? And, 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 and then, then Clifford pointed out if sex is a problem, uh, throw yourself harder into helping someone else. It doesn't even say that it has to be a, a no big book, but there, there's one around here somewhere. It doesn't even say it has to be an alcoholic. Just help someone else, because God's got all kinds of kids. Proved by the 12th step, it tells us in the 12th step that uh, you know we want to help other alcoholics, and then what? Practice these principles in all our affairs. Because, you know, there's only a small amount of people that actually drink, only a smaller amount that become alcoholic, and a teensy-weensy little bit that, like you and I, come to Alcoholics Anonymous. So God's got a lot more kids. And the thing is, to get a conscious contact with God, we have an 11th step. And so at night, when, when I'm going to, to talk to God, and I'm saying, hey, God, uh, you know, I'd like to get closer to you, and God said, I'd like you to be closer, but you were really mean to the checker over at Ralph's Market today. And, you know, so then I started trying to be nicer to people around me. You know, what a pain in the behind that was, you know. <laughs> Some of these people, just they don't deserve it. And you know what I'm saying? But, you know, God, you know, he, he's got his rules and so on and so forth. So uh, the, deal, <laughs> the deal is that, uh, you know, it started, it started to get better for me. I started with my, my amends, and then what happened was uh, I did run into this, this one lady, and she was pr pretty cool, not a blonde, she was a brunette, and she was just nice, and she was sober and everything, and we got along pretty good, and she was pretty fond of me, and I was pretty fond of her, except for one thing, and, and I told you I was shallow, and I am, uh, she had two kids. and. You know, I just that would that would really slow me down in my life. You know, the kids and everything. So, uh, we, I decided that uh, we were going to break up, and she was not pleased about that. All right, and uh, and <laughs> she stopped talking to me for whatever reason, and I tried and I did uh, make amends uh, to her twice, and she didn't care because she knew I was making amends for me, and and you know she just wasn't that interested in either forgiving me or accepting what I had done, apparently. And uh, she would come in, like if Tarafa and I were standing there, Tarafa's here, she'd come up and talk to Tarafa and just say nothing to me. And that's, that's embarrassing for Tarafa. It's like, I didn't care, you know. So, and, and, and the deal is, is what happened was uh, she, and she went off and, got, and married some guy, you know, that wasn't me, not a problem. In fact, I liked the guy, he was all right. 
unfortunately, he couldn't stay stay uh, sober, and uh, that was the problem. And one day there was a meeting, a meeting we called uh, the uh, Solutions Meeting at Church of the Chimes in Studios in uh, uh, Sherman Oaks, and uh, it's full, and there's only one seat left in the in the meeting, and it was next to me, and in comes this Terry, and and. She's looking around and she sees no seats and she's going like this and she catches my eye and she doesn't want to catch my eye and I go <laughs> and she doesn't want to she doesn't want to uh, uh, you know disrespect the meeting so she comes over and she sits down and looks straight ahead all right and the guy that was leading that night a guy English guy by the name of Mark was there and so he says good evening everyone my name is Mark and I'm an alcoholic. And I leaned over to Terry and I said, his name's Mock. And she kicked me. And it was on, all right? And on May 5th of this year, we celebrated 26 years of, 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 of marriage and sobriety as well, both of those things. And uh, you know, so it's, it works a little bit better when there are sober, sober individuals in the home, when you're actually Oh, come on, telling each other the truth, for crying out loud, you know, even if it hurts, even if it makes you look silly, and, and you know, and, and I, I got to help raise those kids, uh, help, help uh, get one of them through college, and, uh, you know, it's just, a, it's, it's a terrific thing, and our house on any given day is, is full of phone calls, or in the old days when you used to, people used to come over, uh, there'd be people around, you can remember, and, uh, it's just uh, it, it's one of one of the gifts of uh, of Alcoholics Anonymous, and so you know it's like uh, we, do we quit at seven o'clock? Does anyone know the answer to that? <laughs> <laughs> Questions get harder, by the way. When we're done, when we're done. What do we do? Forty-five minutes. Twenty-five minutes. Forty-five minutes. Forty-five minutes. From the time you start. I, okay. <laughs> Now I gotta do math over here too. I gotta do a pitch and math. All right, I'll do my best. Okay, so the deal is, the deal is, I, uh, so okay, so I'll, I'll take another 15 minutes. Okay, so because <laughs> now I'm sober, and uh, and uh, you know, and, and and you know, this morning we were actually talking. Uh, we were reading one of the books. I can't remember if it was hers or mine, uh, and it was talking about telling the truth. And and uh, and you know that was the, the kind of like what is the the bedrock of, of our of our relationship, and uh, you know and, and and we and we thank we thank my sponsor and her sponsor for keeping that marriage together because there were times when she would I know you're not going to believe this, but she would not behave the way I wanted her to. All right, and uh, we have these things called resentments and they come up, but there is a, a process for that. And after you've done your fourth step, you write a tenth step on it. And uh, you know where, where, who made you mad, and uh, what did it affect? And then putting out of our minds the wrongdoings of others, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. And uh, that's the way I've learned it, and that's the way it works. And I have a, I, I have the good fortune to sponsor a bunch of guys. And I like them to do a 10 step, uh, not that I'm that smart, but the big book suggests that if we do it, that we're gonna be all right. And we can be nicer to one another and it's a little easier in that 10 step when God doesn't get us and say, yeah, you were mean to your wife or your dad or your mom or whatever. 
And so the thing is, we need one another like Taratha was talking about, you know, and I've, I've had the, you know, the, the, my life got huge. Uh, you know, the men in, that, that I've been able to sponsor, the people I know, I've held his children, and now they're grown, you know, and it's like, it's, it, it's unbelievable. Now, if, you, if you're new and you're, and you're saying, well, we're glad that you drove out here in, in the rain, but, uh, you know, and we're, we're glad that your life is good, but I have this problem with alcohol. Well, I'm telling you what the solution is. I did not invent the solution. It comes from God, and, and, and it is doing the steps. And it's, if you don't know how to do it and you have trouble reading, another man or another woman will be happy to help you out because it makes us feel better when we're helping someone else. There's an old, uh, I think it's a Chinese deal, that says no man stands, no man or woman, it, it says man, but you guys need to be included. The big book didn't bother, but I will, okay? And, and so uh, no man stands so tall as when he stoops to help another man. And what happens is that alcohol used to make me feel good. And now working with someone or maybe just coming and, and seeing the children here, you know, we are people that should not be allowed to be around children, and yet we are, you know. And, and you know, we are people that, that get to take care of dogs. We are people that get to, to barbecue. And, you know, that, you know, and that is about, uh, it is about sobriety. And so, you know, the, the deal is, is that uh, it's been a, it's been a really, wonderful road for me but you know some of the great things that have happened uh, along the road I got uh, I uh, you know I remember one of the the uh, 12 steps that Clifford and I went on I was like uh, 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 Clifford didn't go that was it I was 13 months sober and a guy called and and, and he was uh, dying of alcoholism and I called Clifford and Clifford couldn't go and and and, and I said well what do I do he says well go over get someone and go over and help him out and I said, but, but I'm only, I've only got 13 months. And he said, did you read the big book? I said, yeah. He said, did you read Bill's story? I said, yeah. Every Thatcher came to Bill. How long was he sober when he 12-stepped him? I was two months, Clifford. I'll, I'll talk to you later. And I went and I got this, this the, rock, the rock singer, okay, because he's now got 90 days. And I, we got an, another fellow by the name of English Bill who was there. And he had, uh, he had uh, uh, 12 days. He had 12 days, and off we go, and now I've got a car, which is pretty good, so off we go, us, God, in the big book, and I'm feeling good because I'm the head drunk, and we go over, and, we, and we, we knock on, I knock on the door, and the guy comes to the door, and he's got a, a, one of these undershirts on with schmutz all over it, and, and uh, you know, and, and he said, yeah, what do you want? I said, I'm done, you just talked to me on the phone, he said, I remember. Who are these guys? They're with me. Oh, all right then. Come on in. So we walked in, and this place was to that red chair, over to the second bunch of benches, over, down, back, a bachelor pad. And it didn't have a stick of furniture in it. Well, it had one stick of furniture. It had the, the, the cinder block bookcase. I don't know if you guys ever made one of those. And it had a copy of one book on it, The Prophet, you know, to get chicks. So that, you know, to, to impress them. And so, you know, so he's down and there's a, there's a mattress on the floor with a bunch of soiled bedclothes and everything. And he's down there and, and I'm, I'm there and I'm saying, 
and God has brought us back to sanity and you know whatever it was it was not very good and he wasn't <laughs> buying it so I, 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 I go over to the, the, the singer and I say you're in and he goes over and he says oh well uh, <clears throat> I stopped drinking and, and, and I'm 90 days sober and I'm going down to Florida to do a record and I think my career is going to come back and apparently the guy didn't like uh, rock and roll so we only had one guy left with 12 days English Bill and English Bill went right to it and he got right down to it and he said Bruce if you don't stop drinking alcohol you're gonna lose all this <laughs> the thing is that was the man that Bruce needed to hear you see because he didn't want to lose you know? And what happened is, some 20 years later at one of the conventions, uh, Dave and I gave him a cake for 20 years. I guess he's still sober, I don't know. But the thing is, and here's what I've learned, uh, is that, uh, you know, if you know, you hear people, and whatever your sponsor tells you, do, do as your sponsor asks, please. But, uh, you know, they say, you know, take the, the, the cotton out of yours and put it in your mouth, you know. The thing is, God, God doesn't have a wristwatch, you know, and if he did, it would be better than this one. And, 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 and if he needs something said, he'll have it said by whoever's talking. So the thing is, when, when I come around and a newcomer gets a chip, and congratulations on that, uh, you know, I listen, because I might hear something that I need to hear. I still go to two book studies, and the reason is, and I've studied that book, but I still hear good stuff. I still hear new stuff, and I'm able to pass on, uh, you know, uh, my sobriety. You know, uh, the things that I've discovered in the in the reading and and in the, the experiences I've had and from wh where I came. And so the deal is, is that uh, you know, if I don't know, I guess we're all sober. I'm I'm, I'm counting on it. But if any one of us, including myself or Tarafa, or Patrick, or, or, or Les, you know, any one of us were to take a drink, we'd lose all this. And that would not be a good thing because it is one drunk helping another drunk. And it's an awesome program. And, and you were talking about whenever two or three or more are gathered from the Bible and in the big book as well. It only takes a couple of us talking back and forth. It tells us in, in, uh, in uh, We Agnostics, you know, that we can get to, if, we, if we're armed with facts about ourselves and we have some sobriety, we can get the confidence of another person who's dying of alcoholism in a matter of a couple hours or maybe an hour or whatever. And so the thing is, we are charged with that. And it, they talk about, you know, is there a substitute for alcohol? Well, I don't know. Oh, wait, it's in the big book. It's in a vision for you. And it says, yes, there is. And it's a better substitute. And it's the fellowship. And that's the man or woman sitting next to you. And that's the deal. That's the substitute for alcohol. But the, the, the uh, recovery from alcoholism is to, to do the 12 steps and to get in touch with a power greater than yourself. That can solve your problem. Because a lot of us, uh, you know, we've gone to church or whatever, and it didn't solve our problem. But the, the, the power greater than ourselves that could solve my problem, my particular problem, was one that I was talking to and one that I was trying to either get a conscious contact with 
and one that I was trying to impress him, trying to people please him. So he'd give me stuff. You know, I remember, I remember one time I was there and I was praying and I said, God, if 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 I were to have a Mercedes Benz, I could 12-step more people. And God said, Don, that's a great idea. Why don't you buy one? That's not what I had in mind. Uh, you know, so things go on and they go on. And you know, a lot has happened. We have I, we have one of our kids is a has a PhD in philosophy. I don't know how they're going to support us in our old age. Oh, wait a second, I'm there. Oh, uh, yeah, speaking of old age, I was at a meeting, more will be revealed, I was at a meeting the other night and Dougal shared that he was, uh, uh, you were there, and, and, and uh, he shared that he was sober half his life. And I went, oh my God, that's great. And I went, wait a second, I'm sober half my life. And that's awesome. And it's thanks to men and women like you and a power greater myself. And I don't need to explain it to you. If you if you don't understand it, talk to me afterward. I'll explain it to you, okay? And I, and I'll tell you where you can read about it, and it's in there. So you know the thing is, we're sober. We're we're we're, we're you know we don't want to lose all this. And the thing is, is that stuff's going to happen for us. And one of the things that's going to happen is I'm going to sit down in about four minutes. All right? We have dreams. And your dreams, uh, so many of my dreams, my guys are, are, have come true. You know, I, 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 I tell you about them, but it would sound like bragging. So just believe me when I tell you that stuff has happened in my life. And men around me and women around me, we see it all the time. And so the deal is, yes, you got to, in order to, to have something happen, you got to know what it is that you want. So we have these things and we call them dreams. And so we dreamed, and you know, and, and I had dreams when I came here. I dreamed I wanted to run a marathon, and that not exactly your marathoner's body, I'm just saying, but you know, it's like I wanted to go to Europe because I loved art, and I'd never been to Europe. You were talking about me going to Europe. And, uh, and uh, you know, and I wanted to, to uh, send my, 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 my uh, kid to bring, take my kid to New York so she could see some of this beautiful stuff. And, and it didn't happen in my first year or second year, but in my seventh year, I got to train because Clifford taught me, put one foot in front of the other, I trained for the New York City Marathon, and I ran and I completed the New York City Marathon, and the guy that won it was some guy, a little spindly guy from Kenya, you know, one of these fast <laughs> little guys, and you know, he, he ran it in a two, two hours and, and uh, 18 minutes, uh, he was had a wreath on his head and was drinking Perrier and at two hours and 18 minutes I was in Queens <laughs> Waving you know anyone can run for two hours and 18 minutes It takes a sober man like myself to run for five hours and 15 minutes. That's what I'm saying. Okay, and uh, Heather my daughter Heather uh, she did graduate and because I hadn't given uh, all my money to the, the drug man and the bartender and uh, the divorce lawyers, uh, the, you know, I was able to, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, don't you? So, you know, and, uh, and I'm sorry about that. And, 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 uh, and I was able to send Heather to, to New York, uh, not send her, I took her, and we saw all of these wonderful places, and, and then I had some uh, flight mileage left, and I sent her to, to uh, uh, Hawaii with her graduating class. 
I didn't send her graduating class. I just sent Heather <laughs> to meet her graduating class there. And, uh, you know, and, and so, you know, and, and I've been to Europe uh, four, five, six times. And these are dreams that I have. And you're saying, uh, well, you know, Don, we're glad that you came out here. Uh, we're glad it stopped raining. We're glad that you got to get your fat butt around 26 miles. We're glad you got to go to Europe. We're glad Heather got to go to Hawaii and New York. But what has this got to do with Alcoholics Anonymous and not drinking? And I'm going to tell you. Well, nothing. Zero. Unless you're a man or woman who has the disease of alcoholism, who walked into a room or a gathering like this, found a man or a woman in whom the problem had been solved, did the 12 steps, found a power greater than yourself, and then put your hand out and helped another alcoholic to achieve sobriety, and then it has everything to do with it. And I'm going to tell you something, and then I promise you I'm sitting down. You know, tonight, here's what I would ask of you. And if I'm going to ask you of it of you, I'm going to do it myself. Tonight, when you get home or back to wherever you are, to, you know, you, you know, and, and, and you, you've had a great day, and you lay your head down, and you thank God for your sobriety and Alcoholics Anonymous, and you lay your head down, and you say, thank you, God, as you fall asleep. Do me a favor, because I'm going to do it. Let your dreams begin. Thanks. Uh, please, let's thank, help me thank Don one more time, please. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Lisa, you want to read the promises? Okay. I'm less alcoholic. I'm less. Let's give them both a hand for. Yeah. And, uh, let's give uh, Carlo and Fernando a hand for their spread. Yeah. And all, and all, everybody that brought food, we really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, we need help cleaning up afterwards. So uh, help us afterwards. And if anybody wants to volunteer uh, for to be a part of this group, we need some volunteers. We're looking for a literature person. Uh, see us after the meeting. And uh, I'm your grapevine rep. Uh, meeting in a print. One year, twenty-eight ninety-seven. Two years, fifty-eight bucks. And uh, what we do here is, uh, I got this grapevine that says "Make an Amends." So uh, I'm going to give this out to somebody that needs it. So come on up and get it. And we're going to read it, and then you bring it back, and then we're going to start circulating them. You know. Now, if you know somebody that might need one of these, give it to them as a gift or send it to the penitentiary or take it to the police station, you know, thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it works. I mean, you, you could be stuck on stupid in your car and have one of these and you read it and you know what, everything's okay, you know. We could do this deal. Here's a good one. Sober after 60. Is there somebody here? 
Want to pick this one up? Sober after 60. All right, here we go. That's right. I know you don't Lisa. believe it because it's fucking amazing. Oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> All right, Lisa. You can say amazing. 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 Thank you. All right. We could do this still together. Here's, here we go. It's the promises. If we are painstaking about the phase of our development, we will be amazed before our halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see that our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will internally know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled some among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Now after a moment of silence for the alcoholic that suffers in and out of these rooms and the innocent children caught in the crossfire, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Whose Father? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Keep coming back. Good afternoon, my name's Ed Mutum and I'm an alcoholic. By the grace of God, the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and sponsorship, I have found it necessary to take a drink or a mood-altering chemical since January 5th of 1971, and for that I'm extremely grateful. You know, I'm one of those that's blessed. I get to speak a lot of places and uh, go a lot of places, but I don't know that I've ever been more moved than to be asked to speak here. And Joe, I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank Bob. And I want to thank the committee. Uh, those of us who have been involved in big conventions, you have no idea of the work and dedication and frustration that goes on to put this on just so things could be convenient for you. But I also know by seeing this committee and what I've experienced it here, that it was out of love that they did it. Not only that, the members of Alcoholics Anonymous here, the city of Akron. I mean, I had a bus driver that said, oh heck, we can take you there, and went off route and brought me where I needed to go. <laughs> well, I've decided I'm moving here next week. <laughs> but everybody's just been delightful in that. I am honored to be here, and I do love Alcoholics Anonymous, I do love God, and I love being sober, and I don't apologize for it. For a long time in AA, I felt like a, maybe I had to say something other than God, and maybe I shouldn't be too happy sober, or they'll come to expect it, you know? 
And the longer I'm sober, the more I realize that that's the gift that God has given me. And that's the gift that I want to cherish. I want to thank the signers. I, uh, I'm always moved when I see the signers. And uh, a lot of times when I, I see a speaker, uh, I'll watch the signers too, because in that interpretation, it's even more moving. Their dedication to do this and their work and I won't say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> I gotta look like, take that big villain. You gotta bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> my friend Bobby M and his family from Cleveland. I've known Bobby for years, but we just met a month or two ago. And if you've been around AA, you know exactly what that means. It's talking about language of the heart. For those of you who don't know me, yes, I have trouble buying clothes and the weather's fine up here, okay? Get all those out of the way. And uh, they threw in a new one here at Akron. I've never been asked how, I weighed, how much I weighed so much in my life. So I'm going to have to incorporate that somehow, but it's always the same size person, usually saying the same two questions. And they're, uh, you know, first question is, how tall are you? I'm 6'10", and they go, oh, how tall are you? 6'10", oh, do you play basketball? I go, no, how tall are you? And they go, 5'6". And I say, do you play miniature golf? <laughs> Seems fair to me. there's just a lot of people in this room and at this convention this weekend that I love with all my heart and I would do anything on earth for them uh, because that's what Alcoholics Anonymous has done to me. Alcoholics Anonymous is language of the heart. If it gets to be language of anything else, it's not Alcoholics Anonymous. I, uh, I came from a very elite group of people called White Trash and uh, you know certain things were expected of us and uh, you know, when you got a position in the community, you got to deliver. And, uh, <laughs> and I, you know, my earliest emotion was I didn't like anything. I didn't like you, but most of all, I didn't like me. And there was an unease about me from my earliest memories. And my earliest thoughts were, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I developed something from early on that took me a lot of years sober to quit doing. And I'll tell you what it is. I could walk into a room with 300 people, 299 could turn around to me and say, Ed, you're the best. We love you, man. One could turn around and go, jerk. Guess who got my full attention? Now here's the sick part. Not only did they get my full attention, but eventually in my life, the 299 didn't exist anymore. Just the one. And I had a head full of ones in my earliest memory. I didn't like who I was, where I lived, what I did, and I hated it. So I was very grateful when alcohol came around at a very early age. My father was a heavy drinker. He's one of the hardest working men I've ever known. My mother always tells the time of when they were shoveling coal during the Depression and they were paying 25 cents a ton. And my dad come home after earning $18 in one day. 
I know what work ethic is. I know what dedication is. I know what commitment is. I also know what being raised in the house of an alcoholic is. And sometimes dad would drink too much, and my mother was one of the first working women I've ever known. Uh, everybody else, her mom's got to stay home, and mom had to go to work to keep the house going. And she was an incredible woman. She, she, but she had a weakness. She believed in God, you know. Well, it really was weak, you know. She, oh, let's pray about it. No, let's punch somebody. You know, I just, she just didn't get it, you know. And I remember she used to drag us seven little brats, I mean seven children to church. And they'd set me in church. And, and if you've ever met a minister, they all have thin blue lips and talk like this. You're going to burn in hell, young man. That's what you're going to do. And I used to think, I've only been here an hour. How do you know? And, and they dragged us to church, and, and, and there was some guy sitting up front. I remember him as clear standing here today. And he's got his thin blue lips, and he's sitting there looking so solemn. And I thought, you know, I saw him in the bar last night. He was having a lot more fun. And I don't know who that is with him, but he seemed to be having a lot more fun there, too, you know. Now, I need to tell you that about my 299 to 1, because what I did for a lot of my adult life is take that as my example of organized religion. I forgot about the 299 behind them. They were probably wonderful people. But I had no place for goodness in my heart and in my head, and I didn't even know it. And the only thing that had calmed the madness in my heart and mind is a few drinks. And I don't know if it took it all away, but I'll tell you one thing, it made it so it didn't matter so much. I didn't mind wearing those hand-me-downs and fighting my way to school. People call me a pig and white trash and want to fight me. I couldn't figure out why. I'm just trying to get along. And I had a brother, older, one of my older brothers, with me. I mean, he never threatened anybody. You just heard gunshots when he was mad. And he had that reputation. He was a three-time loser. And guess what? I'm right behind him. It was a good 10 years sober before I didn't panic when I heard squealing tires coming up behind me. Because I knew it was time to prove it one more time. Some I didn't want to prove and some I didn't want to be a part of. But I was fighting for my life one day at a time long before I got here. I went to my first AA meeting when I was 10 years old. I've got a brother in South Carolina, sober 44 years. He's so sober we don't let people smoke around him anymore. He's so dry, you know. Just And he's a wonderful guy, but he took me to my first AA meeting when I was 10, and I remember going in there, and there's some old guy up here, about 30, you know, going, my name's Fred, and I'm an alcoholic, and I thought, good for you, Fred, you know. If I ever get drunk and burn out, I may be here too. Well, I didn't know I was a prophet at that point. It was later on that it came apparent. But uh, I thought, hey, you know, and I share that story for one particular reason and one particular reason only. There are people in this room today including the speaker, who has sons or daughters or loved ones that are dying of this disease. And it's not that we don't try to carry the message, but we can't hear till we can hear and we can't see till we can see, but we got to keep carrying the message no matter what. And for the next 10 years, I need to tell you, I didn't think much about the ANA. I didn't think, well, if I go to them meetings and walk up 12 golden steps, I'll be happy. You see, my problems were the same as yours. It was memories of what might have been. If only's, if only's were a biggie. 
when you got all that going on in your head, you need the coma. Drinking was not my problem. Staying sober and all those voices in my head were the problem. I mean, it'd make me crazy. And then they started telling me, if you drink, you're gonna die. And that's a vicious lie, because I was counting on them. You see where you come from, I come from, dying's a break. It's a step up, especially if the cop takes you out. Then you're a hero. Don't threaten me with death. It's for a different reason today. But then it was a great, how soon and when? I'm tired. I remember coming to AA and there were some old timers said, you know, you're not even dry behind the ears. I spilled more than you ever drank. You haven't even been around the block. You know, when I got sober, I was 20 years old. I had felony record as long as both arms. I'd been uh, married and divorced, turned psychotic, neurotic, insanely violent, hopelessly addicted to drugs, committed to the Iowa State Mental Institution, and had several warrants out for me. And they say, you haven't even been around the block yet. And I thought, how big is this block? Because if it gets much bigger, somebody else is going to have to finish it up for me. And then they'd say stuff like, oh, I'm so glad you got here before you had to really hurt. You know, would any of us here, would any of us here, if we had experienced cancer, go into a cancer patient's room who happened to be under 20 or 14 or 15, would we go into that room and say, I came closer to dying than you are? <laughs> Wouldn't that be cruel? What's the difference? How old do you have to be to die of this disease? January 5th of 1971, I got sober. I really didn't mean to. It wasn't in my day planner. I probably would have had a better time if I knew I was coming, you know, but I was in a wreck like I'd been in a wreck hundreds of times, uh, laying in the middle of the street, and it was 18 below zero. And uh, I was pretending like I was knocked out. I'm not sure why it seemed like a good idea at the time. And I heard the police came up and they said, that's Mutum, don't touch him, he's the scum of the earth. And you see, I'm a cop fighter. When I see a badge, I swing. If you're a crossing guard, I may punch you, you know. <laughs> and these, these guys came up and said that to me. You know what happened? An amazing thing happened. I agreed. I don't know why that night that somehow it was perfectly clear that I wasn't there because of where or who raised me. I was there because of my own actions and the disease called alcoholism. And they ran me up into the hospital and the next day a guy came up, made a 12-step call on me, a guy named Pat. Now, when you got a severe brain concussion and you're hungover, you don't want some guy coming into your hospital room smiling, saying, Hi, my name's Hap, and I'm an alcoholic. Puts you into a depression right off the bat is what it does. But that's what he did. Hap come in, and he talked to me. And he said, we, we don't drink and we don't use one day at a time, Ed. And I said, well, you know what? I, uh, I'd like to do that, but I can't make it a day. Now, why I decided to be honest that day, I'm not sure. 
But you see, when my gut, gut locked in, I had to go in spite of what I knew. When that compulsion hit, I had to go. Yes, I knew what it would do to my wife, ex-wife. I knew what it would do to my mother. But I had to go. And he said, well, all you have to do is try, Ed. And that's the only thing I've done consistently in Alcoholics Anonymous. One day at a time since that day to this is try. Some days I try real well. Some days just barely. But I try. Because this is not about my will. It's about God's grace. And I believe it's here for each and every one of us. We'll just keep our hands off the business. And that's tough, you know. That's tough. I remember going to A&A. And they said, well, you got to quit stealing. I thought, well, I'll cut down, just get enough to make ends meet. You know, you, you got to make a living. And they said, no, no, you got to stop that. But then they said something that was worse yet. They said, you got to start up being honest with who you are and where you've been. Well, man, I had no idea about that. You see, I didn't know the truth. I would lie when the truth would serve me better. That's when people take these steps in 30 days and say honest inventory. They obviously drank differently than I did. Now, I'm not taking anything away from that. It's just my experience that it was very important for me to get my brains out of hock. You know, uh, the old timers used to tell me, ah, stick around 90 days just to get your brains out of hock. Don't think about anything. Some of the best information I ever had. And you know, a lot of people in AA say, oh, it doesn't matter what you say in A&A. Doesn't matter. They want to be here, they'll be here. Well, I beg to differ with that. I tell you, there was an old guy, Harry S., in central discussion. And when I got sober, first I got to tell you, when I got sober, they didn't have a lot of the goodies to make you feel better right away that they do now. I was a shaker, man. I just, how you doing? It? Oh, good. How are you? Yeah. Half cup for me, please. You know? <laughs> and it was bad. It was bad. I remember six weeks, six, eight weeks sober when I wrote my name and I couldn't read it. You couldn't, but I could. I remember that. And I had two rules. Don't come up behind me. And don't touch me. Two rules. And little Harry had poured coffee in a group in Davenport called Central Discussion, Davenport, Iowa. And Harry had a habit. He was the coffee pourer. He'd come around to the table during the meetings. And Harry had a habit. He put his hand right here on my shoulder. And he poured my coffee, and for some reason, everything was okay for a minute. I didn't get it, but I could breathe deeply. The, the voices stopped, the war in my gut stopped, everything stopped, and Harry poured my coffee. And he poured it slow, and then he'd go and I'd drink my coffee just as fast as I could. How can I tell Harry, Harry, how'd you know I needed the human touch? I just needed somebody to touch me without wanting something or me thinking they want something. Just to be touched in a kind way. Harry saved my life. My only regret is I never told Harry. Harry, thanks for pouring coffee. Thanks for touching my heart. And there was another guy, Jimmy, out in California, Jim R. from Malibu. And Jimmy used to talk like this. He was from Malibu, but he was from Texas originally. He used to talk like this. He was a rapid fire guy. He kind of gave you three talks in one. You know what I mean? And he'd be talking, he said, he said, one time I asked him some psychologist why I rub my hands like this when I talk. He told me I smacked him right in the mouth. That's what I did. <laughs> and that was Jimmy. And uh, 
I loved Liz last night when she talked about depression, sober. Uh, I'm one of those who are hexed with working the steps and it seems to help me through it. I know that upsets people, pray for me. And uh, I was in one of those deep, dark depressions, those dark, dark places where it didn't make any sense. And I just, my plan was to go and uh, turn on the gas and just go to sleep. No, no notes, no dramatics, no calls for help. You see, at that time I was sober a few years and I knew one thing, AA was good for you, but the magic and the music wasn't alive in me. And I knew you guys could make it, but I also absolutely knew I couldn't. You know, I was coming to meetings and people would say, how you doing? And I'd say, fine, how are you? Yeah, good to see you. <laughs> And I was looking at bridge abutments as I was going home thinking I could drive into that and that'd be okay. Because I really don't want to drink or use. And I was in one of those moods and it was a dark, dark spot. And I walked into that club on 26th and Broadway with my friend Wayne and I, when I'm out there, go to a meeting. And I walked in and Jimmy was always seemed to be there on that day. Now, I don't know if Jim said this to everybody, but it really doesn't matter. I'd walk by Jim and I'd say, Jim, how are you? And it was like the world stopped. And it felt like Jim took my face in his hands like this. He didn't, but that's how it felt. But he stopped and looked me right in the eye. When I said, Jim, how you doing? He looked back and he'd say, much better for seeing you today, my friend. Much better for seeing you. And you know what I thought? Well, if Jimmy likes me, maybe I won't turn on the gas today because we do this one day at a time. I don't care how long you're sober. If you're not doing it a day at a time, you're not doing it. It's a day at a time. I started going to meetings on a regular basis and they started, brought up that three letter word that annoys all of us, job. <laughs> and <laughs> tried to work my way around that pretty quick. And then they brought up that other word, God. And I'll tell you, in the book, it talks about being violently anti-religious, and that's where I was. For several years sober, I used to say I was an atheist or an agnostic, and I've realized in the last few years that really wasn't true. What's true is everything I knew about God, I hated. Don't even bring it up around me, or we're going to dance. It's that simple. Because if there's a God, why are there starving children everywhere? If there's a God, why is cancer rampant? If there's a God, why do I have to live in that hellhole? Don't even bring it to me. And then I'm going to AA, and they said, well, you know, if you're going to have any sobriety on a continued basis, you've got to have a relationship with a power greater than yourself. And you know, when you look into an old-timer's eyes, you'll know whether they're telling the truth or doing a little song and dance for you. Check them out. They're here. But then they give me the good news. They said, you can make up your own God. And I said, cool. And I came up with a good orderly direction. That's good. I'm sure I heard it somewhere, but everything's original when we come up with it. Yeah. And then the other one that touched me a lot was good others do. Good others do because people were being very kind to me and I couldn't figure out why. I remember sitting in a meeting about three months sober and I nudged this guy and I said, what do these people want from me? He looked back and said, what do you got that anybody'd want? You know? Never quite thought of it that way, you know. I... <laughs> but it was amazing. I, uh, I, uh, I would go to meetings and they'd talk about God and, and what I came up with 
is if I had all my dreams, God would be kind and loving and forgiving. That would be my God, kind and loving and forgiving. You know, I brought that up and they didn't seem upset about it at all. Yeah. Another original idea that someone else has taken on, you know. But it was a concept. I had run into a group of people who didn't care where I'd been or what I had done. The thing I love about Alcoholics Anonymous as much as anything is we all have hearts here, but we have no faces. We all have hearts here, but we have no jobs. We all have hearts here, but we're not different people. We're all one. We're all God's kids. And I've never been in a place like that before. But as a result of that, I did something that almost cost me my sobriety. I started professing a faith I didn't have. You know, it's easy to talk about. We all done it. Talking that program, you know, you get that eight, nine, ten months, a year, you know, all of a sudden you know everything and everybody else has been dumb till you got here. And um, that's kind of kind of the way I was. And, uh, but I started professing a faith I didn't have. I heard these old timers talk about God and the program and what working these steps had done in their life. And I could see they were telling the truth. So I started parroting what they said. No harm in that. Is there only one? If you don't have a faith when you need it, you won't have a faith. You'll have other people's words. I was sober a little over a year, and my father asked me to come over for dinner. Now, that may not be unusual for you, but it's terribly unusual for me. Because when Dad asks me over for supper, I'm in trouble. And I just, like I said, just had a year sober, and I'd been hanging around A&A, going to meetings and keeping busy. Uh, sponsorship wasn't strong in our area then. Uh, so it was kind of winging it and uh, talk about God's grace and uh, uh, I just did the best I could and when I would go to meetings they say suit up and show up bring a new attitude into old situations well I hadn't been to mom and dad's house for dinner since I'd been sober and I can't go into that old situation with my head the same now theirs may be because they're going to remember me the way I was last time they saw me they can't remember me any other way that's their reference, just like our references, especially if you collect ones, like my family tended to do. But I showed up for that meal, and I went in there, and about halfway through dinner, Dad said, boy, and I thought, oh, here it comes. He said, just want to tell you I'm proud of you. And I'll tell you something, walking into the dinner that night, if you had hooked a lie detector to me and asked me if I cared what that old man thought about me, I would have said no, and the lie detector would have said true. When he told me how proud I was, it was another instance in Alcoholics Anonymous. By the grace of God, I found out how wrong I'd really been. That him looking at me with the pride of a father, saying he was proud of me, was more than I'd ever wished for. You see, when I got sober, they said, wish for things. That wouldn't even made the list. It's too impossible. And I went to a meeting and later that night, my mother called me and she was crying and hysterical and said, Ed, come home quick. And I said, what's wrong, Mom? She said, uh, Dad went across the street to get himself a beer and me a bottle of pop and now they're carrying bodies out. I don't know what's going on. And it was one of those nights you ever have those ice storms where a quarter inch ice and everything out here. And it was a bad night and I was driving across thinking, well, I'm in A&A &A now and I know God, nothing bad can happen to me. And as I drove up to that old drinking spot where I'd spent many a night, I saw more policemen than I'd ever seen, ever. 
It's funny how those cops had shaped up that year I was sober. If you're new, a little clue I had no idea of, if you don't hit them, they usually won't lock you up. <laughs> Just thought I'd pass that on. It isn't in the big book, but it's helpful, you know. <laughs> and I had been working in the courts that past year with people with alcohol and drug problems. And I walked in and there was, like I said, officers everywhere. And I looked down the bar and I saw that pool of blood with my father's glasses all mangled up in it. And I kind of knew it wasn't good news. And the officer said, Ed, what are you doing here? And I said, my dad was in here. What's going on? He said, oh, my God, Ed. He said, we don't know. All we know is somebody came in the bar and opened fire, shot everybody. And I got in my car, and I went up to the hospital. And there was a lieutenant up there who hadn't forgotten my past. And he was very unkind, very vulgar. And he said, what are you doing up here? And I told him, and he said, I've already identified everybody. Get you behind out of here before we bust you. And an AA miracle happened because I just left. You see, you'd given me freedom. A year and a half before that, I would have had to make him remember who I was. Don't you ever talk to me that way. But I said, okay, and I left. I went home, and we searched the streets for eight hours called the officer that spent the last five years of my drinking trying to put me away. And he fed me information because he knew I was sober by the example you taught me to set, by suiting up and showing up, by acting better than I do feel, that AA is in a place where we come and display our character defects. This is a place where we come and change, and we got to take the change out there. You know, too often we get it mixed up. We come to AA and act like we're doing just fine and we're goofy out there. This is the place to be goofy. Find the answers so we can be better out there. Because if you're fortunate, you're going to find somebody who knows what it is to be goofy and get sober. And to work through difficulty sober. We searched the streets for eight hours looking for my father. They thought they'd taken him hostage or uh, he got shot and wandered out somewhere. And I'd always pray that you wouldn't know that kind of sadness and that kind of mayhem. And then September 11th happened, and everybody knows now. If you didn't before, you did then. And there's still people up there in that city that I pray for every day that will never find their dad. Early the next morning, I got a call from the hospital from that, uh, that officer and said, well, Ed, anybody could have made a mistake. Why don't you come up and identify your old man? So I got in my car, and I went up there, and I walked into that morgue, and I saw that bullet hole in my father's faith, and I reached for that faith, my father's face, and I reached for that faith I'd been professing all those years, or that year, <laughs> and come up with a handful of nothing. It was just empty. There's a reason it says our experience, strength, and hope. And I sat there in that morgue, and it was one of the coldest feelings I'd ever had in my life. My first thought, quite honestly, was that God I'd been taught about when I was a kid. Your family's going to pay for what you do. Every sin you do comes back on your family. And I thought, God killed Dad. When I was 10 years old, I had a beautiful cousin, and her name was Linda. And if there was anybody close to God, I would think it would be Linda. 
And Linda was walking across the street one day, and a truck hit her and killed her, knocked her 200 yards. It was just sad. You know what people said to me? God must have wanted an angel. I said, oh, so he hit you with the truck. I'll pass on that, God. Thank you very much. So that's where I went back to immediately, thinking this kind of stuff, and it was hard. I hadn't had that knot in my gut for some time. But I'll tell you, I've had reason to review that situation. I can tell you this. Everywhere I went, there was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous right there. Right there. And any of us who've ever been through difficulty sober has experienced it if you've been a member of Alcoholics Anonymous for more than six seconds. We know how to love here. We take care of our own here. We don't even care if your insurance covers it. Not to be mean or anything. No, I'm not, uh, but that's, you know, one of the things that uh, concerns me about AA today, and especially being here at Founders Day, is we're forgetting what Alcoholics Anonymous is about. And that's about shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, whatever you're going through, we're going through, and we will make it out the other side one day at a time by God's grace. There's too many people going too many different directions because they want to be terminally unique for one particular reason or the other, and I'm not for it. I get the chance to talk in prisons a lot, and uh, when I talk in prisons, I always start my talk off by telling them I'm a racist. Gets everybody's attention immediately, <laughs> especially with a lot of the prisons I go to. And I say I'm a human racist. I'm for the human race. I'm for you, man. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, or anything else. And anybody else is not for that, I'm not for them. It's all about you and me walking hand in hand and going places we've never dreamed of and having the courage to believe that. The priest that did my father's funeral gave me one of the keys to the kingdom. He said, you know, a lot of people would say Clifford's death is God's will. He said, I don't believe that. And I sat right up in the chair. He said, God created human beings. He gave them all a free will. Some of those human beings chose to do this act, and now it's God's will. And I said to myself, you mean the reason there's kids starving is because we're not feeding them? We got plenty of food. Can't blame it on God anymore? That's right. The reason cancer is rampant, we want to say, why is God doing this? We're the one polluting everything we touch. Don't blame it on God. Because I believe this today with all my heart. If it isn't good, it isn't God, period. If it isn't good, it isn't God. I was called to testify at that murder trial, and I remember sitting in that courtroom, sitting across from that guy, and he thought he was pretty tough, you know. Uh, Gangbangers usually do. And I thought, you know, give me five minutes with him. We'll see how tough he is. In fact, bring all five of the guys in. We'll see how tough all of them are. But you know what? I'd hung around you too long. You said the way I behave is important. 
that I need to set an example, that I might be the only example of Alcoholics Anonymous anybody ever sees. So what I did is I went in and I testified in court and I simply answered the questions they asked me and I left. And I left. There was one time in there, if you've ever had anybody murdered and you come up from where I come up with, you gotta deal with the murder thing. You gotta deal with the homicide and the eye for the eye and, the, and that pull that, that's, that's strong. That's strong. It's what I, whatever what everybody always told me. And then this thing of live and let live in AA, and it's tough. And I sat down to talk to a few people about it, and they got up and walked away. Said, I thought you had a good program. Let me tell you something. If you can talk about that crap sober, you're working a hell of a program. And you need to be here and walk through it. I left there and shortly after that, God talked to me. Now, you gotta be careful when God talks to you. I got a few other friends God talked to. They'll be out in about another 20. But God talked to me and said, Ed, go out to California, get into show business. Made perfect sense to me. So I quit my job, loaded my car 48 hours later. It was where all stars get their start, Anaheim, California. I got a job at Disneyland. I was goofy. <laughs> Little did they know how well I fit the role at that point. Don't step on goofy shoes, oh, you know. But uh, I was goofy. But I didn't actually start that job. Uh, I went up to a meeting in West LA and uh, I, I was around uh, 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 Alcoholics Anonymous that I'd never been around. And this is not to take away from the Alcoholics Anonymous I was around. This was an Alcoholics Anonymous that was enthusiastic, enthusiastic. People that were doing things were out of their own head, not sitting back going, well, I'll do just enough to get by, you know? And I'm used to, you know, once a year, you flip Fred the chip, and he goes on home, you know, happy birthday, Fred, see you next year. <laughs> and I'm in this place where people talking about living and talking about helping one another, really talking about setting up with people, talking about taking them to meetings even when it's inconvenient. And it just amazed me. And there was this guy standing there. And I said, excuse me, would you be my sponsor? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, anybody I sponsor has to look up to me. <laughs> I thought, good, tall jokes. That's what I need, you know. <laughs> a few minutes later, he shook my hand, said, you agreed to do a few things. I'll be your sponsor. My name's Clancy. And I am forever grateful I didn't hear half the crap that goes around about him. I'll tell you why. I would have believed you, and I would have died. You're that important to me as members of AA. I would have believed you, and I would have died. Because for some reason, just like Bill could talk to Bob, Clancy could talk to me. Now, no comparison as far as stature, but I mean, He's the one that made sense to me. And I make it my business not to put down any individual or group in Alcoholics Anonymous. I may not like them, but who cares? I want you to have the dignity of your own choice. I want you to have the ability to go and do what you need to do. And yes, my door is always open. But I want you to go there knowing that there's no hierarchy in AA that way. That the minute you think you can work somebody else's program, especially somebody who's helped more people by accident than you have on purpose, you might want to look at the humility section in Alcoholics Anonymous.
It was funny, I was uh, speaking down south a while back and there was some old timer with 40 years and he was just bad rapping Bill Wilson. Just bad, he was an egomaniac, he just, just, just. And I had a chance to talk to him afterwards and I said, well, what happened? He said, well, he didn't answer my question when he walked by. Think about it. Bad rapping a guy, you know what impresses me? We drove here today, drove by the Mayflower Hotel, right? Are you gonna go see that? You're gonna see it? You know what the Mayflower Hotel is, right? It's where Bill dropped that nickel and called Bob. Do you understand that every one of us lives were in his hand in that decision? If he'd walked the other way, if he hadn't dropped the nickel, we wouldn't be here. So even if it isn't convenient, we need to help. Um, I started working the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. He told me to read the book and read the black and white. Nothing in between. And that annoyed me. And he said, you can't go to discussion meetings. And I said, why? He said, because you won't listen. He said, first half of the meeting, you'll be thinking about what you're going to say. Then it'll get to you and you'll talk and you'll spend the rest of the meeting thinking about what you should have said. <laughs> How'd he know? <laughs> so for years, I didn't go to discussion meetings. And you know what he did, that mean old man? Made me one of the better listeners I know. You see, just because I'm up here talking right now don't mean in five minutes when we're talking that what you're saying to me isn't equally important. We're all here for one another. I remember uh, he told me I had to act better than I think. He told me they don't lock you up for how you think, they lock you up for how you act. I don't care what you think, watch how you act. And at that time, I got a job as a bellhop down in Santa Monica, and I had a nice little coat that fit real well, and a little hat, and I'd sit there from 11 to 7, and the little old ladies would drop their bag on my foot. And they'd come in and say, pick up that bag, boy, and I'd think, which one? You were it. But what I do is say, yes, ma'am. And I'd go upstairs, seventh floor, I'd put that bag in the room, flip it open, go to the door, wait for my tip. She slammed the door like to break my fingers. I'm thinking, I'm going to kick in the door, grab this old broad throw her out the window and watch her splatter. But what I did is said, thank you, and I went downstairs. Now, that may not mean much to you, but I'll tell you what it means to me. It's called freedom from the bondage of self. I never knew. You see, if I thought it, I thought it was the truth. I never knew that I could do different than what I think. Now, that may sound crazy to you, but it was a gift to me. I can sum up sponsorship by one quick story. I'm living in Clancy's garage, and I'm in the back bathroom out there and uh, shaving one day. And he's walking by, and he says, what are you doing? I said, shaving. He said, came in, and he said, well, turn on the hot water. I said, oh, okay, turn on hot water. He said, get it nice and hot. He said, now put that on your beard. I thought, oh, okay. He said, now reach up there and find some shaving lotion. That put that on. Okay, he said, rub it in real good. Let it set for a second. Yeah, yeah. He said, now shave. And I went, oh, that's pretty cool. You see, I learned to shave in Scott County Jail at 13 years old. And at 13 years old, you don't ask anybody how you shave. You just pick up the straight razor and shave. Or you're not, you're not straight razor, the old Gillette's and shave. And I'd been doing that 
for 10 years. He taught me a new way to shave. He didn't break me all up because I didn't know how to shave. He didn't go, dummy. Well, sometimes he did, but not often. <laughs> and, and the description was accurate, I might say. But uh, that he, he, he helped me be a better who I wanted to be. He told me to look people in the eye and talk to them. He taught me things like never be late for an AA commitment, ever. And I, I remember one time uh, I was supposed to go with him somewhere at, at 6.30, and I got there at 6.31, and all I smelled was exhaust fumes, you know? I thought, well, that's kind of odd. And I called him the next day. I said, where were you? He said, you weren't there at 6.30. And I said, well, I got there at 6.31. He said, what if I was a newcomer? Didn't want to go to AA anyway. And they don't see, they didn't even show up. See, when you tell somebody you're going to do something, you do it. It's called integrity. I remember going to a meeting in Pasadena, California. I was going to speak, and I had to start all over with God. And what I recommend you, if you're not happy with your God, start fresh. Start new. Don't profess a faith you don't have. If your life can't depend on it, don't be lying. It's okay. My first honest prayer ever was, God, I don't know if you're there or not. I sure hope so. It was truth. I didn't know. God, I wanted it. It was a nice idea. But I didn't know. And I'd started all over with God. I was going to Pasadena. Pasadena out in L.A. was a wealthy area, is a wealthy area. And I thought, ooh, wealthy area, I might get a job. And I caught myself immediately. Because you don't hustle in AA. If you do, you'll pay dearly. And uh, I did the same thing I did in the hotel before I left to come over here. I got down on my knees and I said, God, just let me go and share the miracle you've performed in my life through Alcoholics Anonymous. And save me from my own nonsense. I don't need anything. I don't want anything from these people. I've been overpaid. And I went and talked, and I talked, and I got done talking, and a guy came up to me afterwards and said, uh, this makes no sense to me. We won't offer you a job. I said, it makes perfect sense to me. Go ahead. Yeah. He said, have you ever been in Taiwan? I said, no. He said, have you ever been in show business management? I said, no. He said, be in my office Monday morning. Monday morning, I went into his office, met with this guy. Thursday, I was lifting out of LAX on China Airlines. I was headed to Taipei, Taiwan. I was the new soon-to-be vice president of America on Ice. I had a cast of 62. I was going over to design costumes and build a, a, an ice rink and arrange living situations while flying back and forth to Hong Kong with designer Bill Campbell to build the costumes. How was your week? <laughs> now, you know what's amazing about that to me? I showed up for the interview. Somewhere along the line, you told me to quit carrying the bag of wands. All my life, people said, you have so much potential. And I went, yeah. I'm here to tell you, they've been right, you've been wrong. I showed up for the interview. I had no qualifications for that job whatsoever except by God's grace, and I decided to walk toward it. And I got off the plane in Taipei, and everybody's just tall. <laughs> and they're looking at me like I'm looking at them, you know? And I know it's just a matter of time before they pull that rope out and tie me down. <laughs> and it was a wonderful time that I don't have time to go into, but uh, 
But God put me in that situation to do one thing. Show me the gifts I've really got. Because I wouldn't believe them. You tried to tell me. I wouldn't believe anybody. Until I saw them, then I couldn't argue anymore. And if you're in AA, if you're new or if you've been here a while and you're in that rut, take time to let God show you what he's really got inside of you. My old friend Chuck C. used to tell me, Eddie, what you came here looking for, you're looking with. And I know that more today than ever before. Alcoholics Anonymous has done a miracle in my life. The miracle is simply this. I am enough today. My God and my program is enough. I always needed more, no longer. This is enough. Was over there a few months, guy walked by me and said, you know, you'd be an excellent manager for the Harlem Globetrotters. And I went, yeah, sure. And I was home three months and the Globetrotters called me up and said, Mr. Mutum, we've heard wonderful things about you. Would you come and talk to us? And I said, certainly. And I suited up and I showed up. Didn't bring my bag of ones. Next thing I knew, I was the manager of the Harlem Globetrotters. Okay. Believe me, I don't tell you that out of ego. I tell you that out of God's grace. Because there is no logic on earth that I know of that can get me laying in the middle of the street in Six and Leclerc in Davenport, Iowa to manage the Harlem Globetrotters with a seventh grade education other than God. <laughs> I got on the bus and there's Metalark Lemon, there's Curly Neal. I'm thinking, cool, I got all the money. Don't get much better than this. I was wrong. But it was good. I remember nobody talked to me for 30 days. Nobody. And I knew to do one thing. Do a good job. Be who you are, Eddie. And I remember the day Metalark leaned over to me and talked to me. And then everybody talked to me. I understood. And I agreed. And that's how you taught me to live today. To do what the difficult things are, not take the easier, softer way. But to try to get to thinking of how other people feel other than my own head. I uh, went to London, met the daughter of the Turkish ambassador. She was Muslim, she was wealthy, she was beautiful. I thought, well, backgrounds are a lot alike, so we got married. <laughs> I didn't say all sanity had returned. I, and we just should not have gotten married. And I don't mean that as an insult to her or me. It just, we, we should not have gotten married. We have three wonderful children and I thank God for them. But that marriage should not have happened and I don't make excuses for it anymore. She didn't understand Alcoholics Anonymous and she didn't understand my commitment to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I respect her for that. However, I disagree. <laughs> and uh, when I was 18 years sober, I lost everything I owned. I made decisions based on self and greed and 18 years sober. They came and they really got personal. They even picked up the Mercedes. You know? And I realized something that happened that I didn't even know happened. And that was simply this, that things outside of my God became my God without me knowing. It was who I'd worked for and who I'd become 
and what I have done, I'll tell you something quite honestly. I wouldn't even tell you the story about the Globetrotters except for one thing. My sponsor has directed me to share it, to show you the miracle that can happen in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's been a long time ago, and it's a wonderful time, and I still have some wonderful friends as a result of that. But I share it so you know that if that can happen to me, whatever your dream is can happen to you. Dare to dream again. That's what Alcoholics Anonymous is about. To me, it isn't just about getting sober. Yeah, I've been sober. It's about wanting to be sober, enjoying to be sober, and helping other people to get sober. And thanking God instead of thinking we got anything to do with it, you know? I, uh, I was sitting at home one day and God said, Ed, go out and get an education. And I did what any well-respecting member of AA would do. I went, la, 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 la. He called right back. He didn't care. And I, I and I, <laughs> I, I had quit smoking at the time, and the doctor told me to start running, so I had, and I broke my leg. So I got on my crutches, and I did what you do after you're sober for an alcoholics anonymous. Uh, and it says in the big book, especially 86, 87, 88, where we will be inspired, and that means God talks to us. However, keep your sponsor as a decipher, because at times of war. <laughs> Times of war, we tend to write our own messages, you know. But I got my crutches and I went over to the university and I said, excuse me, I'd like to go to school. And they said, how many credits do you have? I said, I have bad credits. What's that got to do with anything? And they laughed too and I said, uh, I shared with them a gift you've given me. I said, you don't seem to understand. I don't know anything about going to school. I don't know if I'm smart enough to pass a class. I quit school. They booted me out of school in seventh grade and I didn't pay any attention three years before that. But if you could help me, I'd like to try. And nobody has ever refused me when I've asked honestly. What I've learned, Alcoholics Anonymous taught me about 299s. And for every member that you got that you got a little annoying with, there's 299 beautiful ones right behind them, you know? And that's with the world out there too. If we can pull our head out of where it don't belong and take a look. I. Uh, I started going to school and I went on a, a, a spiritual retreat and I had a spiritual awakening. I had a, a spiritual experience that uh, changed my heart and finished the job that you had started, changing my heart and changing my mind. God said, I want you to work for me. And I thought, man, you know who you're calling? And he said, yep. Because you know something about my God, it's very simple. I used to think God had a big old book and every time I did something wrong, he wrote it down. By the time I got to AA, even though I was young, the book was pretty good size. You know the God I believe in? I walked in, God said, hey, this your book? And I said, yep, that's my book. He said, okay. Ripped it up and said, go and start fresh. You taught me that here. You called it one day at a time. It talks in our big book about being reborn. I take it literally. Every single day when I get up and take a shower, I wash away the sins of the world. I start fresh. I wash away the best of my ability, the resentments of yesterday, the fears of yesterday, the angers of yesterday, because I don't need it anymore. All that does is keep me between me and God. And if I'm with God, I'm with everybody in here, whether I like you or not. 
I loved him. And I didn't understand that for a long time. How do you love everybody? I remember there was one guy in a meeting that I thought, you know, five minutes in the parking lot, I could help him find God. And I was driving home thinking, that's not very spiritual, Ed. And you're supposed to love everybody. How can you do that? And I realized, you know, if he called me at 3 o'clock in the morning and said, Ed, I think I'm going to drink, you know where I'd be? Right there. You see, I loved him. I just didn't like his behavior much. There's a big difference. I uh, got called into the ministry, and uh, they said, you got to go get 220 hours worth of college credit. And I said, okay. So I did it, and I took each and every one. I didn't take any easy ways out. I did it because if I was going to get a degree, it's because I wanted it. I always thought education was overrated, and after 220 hours of uh, college and graduate studies, I can tell you it definitely is. <laughs> but the thing about it was, that's what they needed, so I did it. And I got my Master's of Divinity, and I became ordained, and I never missed a day in Alcoholics Anonymous. Never let us forget that this is the place where the doctors, the psychiatrists, and the clergy come to get sober. This is where God is. He's certainly in those houses of worship, whatever it may be. And I, I celebrate whatever your faith is. Your faith doesn't threaten me, and I hope mine doesn't threaten you. I celebrate it. In fact, let's talk about it, and let's see what we can share about it. Because in Alcoholics Anonymous, you taught me yours is just as good and better, I hope, because I can learn from you. I was preaching on forgiveness about three years ago, and I was giving them heaven because they've had enough of hell. I try not to have thin blue lips, and I try not to go like this. And I'm preaching on this forgiveness, and I stop right in the middle of my talk, and I realize, you know, I hadn't forgiven the guys that killed my father. Well, I'd forgiven them, but I hadn't told them. Well, what's that? That's chump change is what that is. That's half a step. It's going to them and making amends. Just because I did it in my head doesn't mean anything. And I stopped and I said, I make a covenant with you that I'll go and I'll seek these people out. And I will make sure they know they're forgiven. And I won't preach on forgiveness till I do it. Two and a half weeks later, one of the guy's sentence was overturned. I didn't even know he had an appeal. How good does AA work? Honest to God, I couldn't remember their names. I couldn't remember the names of the guys who murdered my father. Couldn't. This works. And the press came to me and they said, uh, they still return the sentence. They said, retry him or let him go right now. What do you want us to do? Or what do you think they should do? And I said, it's time to heal. It's time to start fresh. And they said, he's been in there since he's 17. He didn't know how to work. How's he going to live? How's he going to support himself? I said, he can come live with me if he wants. And people were taken back by that. Well, you let me in your house. I knew what I was capable of. How dare I not open my home to him? And as God would have it, a few weeks later, I was able to walk down that prison I swore I'd never go back into because my brother spent a lot of time there. And I knew I was going to be dead rather than go there. And I'm walking down that hall and I walk into a room and I see a man I haven't seen in 28 years. The last time I saw him, he was sitting in the courtroom and I went in five minutes with him. And I stuck out my hand and I said, Sherman, my name's Reverend Ed Mutum. And I'm here to tell you that I forgive you and I love you and that God loves you. And if there's anything in my life I can do, 
If there's anything I can do, anything ever in my life I can do to make your life better, let me give it to you. And Sherman looked in my eyes and he saw the eyes of an old timer. He didn't quite get it, but he knew I was telling the truth. No more access to grind, it's time to heal. And we stayed two and a half hours and we ended with a prayer. And they decided to retry him and I went down to the county attorney and I asked for mercy for my friend. Because we had become friends, I didn't expect that. Wasn't even a thought, I just needed to know I needed to tell him. And I went down to that county attorney and because of how you taught me to act in these courtrooms and in Alcoholics Anonymous and in essence in society, he agreed to let him plead to a lesser charge and let him come home instead of spend the rest of his life in prison. About a year and a half ago, I got to go to prison and they'd only release him to my custody. And I picked my friend up and I had to tell him it's okay for you to open that door now. You can do it. And I went and waited ordered a meal in a restaurant and he didn't know how to order. It was just hold out the tray. And I went and I bought him clothes as you had bought me clothes. And we figured out his size because I didn't know mine either, just because I was too big and I could never afford the right size. And I got to give my friend what you had given me, unconditional love. And he goofed up and he went back. And my heart was broken, but we all know Gin Alcoholics Anonymous just like lifers. It's tough out here, man. You know, he ain't an alcoholic, he ain't all this. He just was in the wrong place at the wrong time when people started shooting, he paid 30 years of his life for it. And we whine because we get laid off. And he called me a couple months ago, I hadn't talked to him in a few months, and he said, March, I'm coming home. And he said, I want to apologize to you and I want to talk to you about uh, maybe you could help me find a place to live. And I said, Sherman, I because when he came home the first time, he was in a halfway house, I said, you can come live with me, I told you that. So I went and I picked my friend up again. And he's discharged this time. There's no heat on him. And I don't know if he's gonna make it or not. I'm doing a good job of letting him do what he's gotta do. He don't owe me nothing. You see, I'm just paying back what you've given me. But I'd ask you to remember my friend Sherman in your prayers, because he's a good man. He's a bright man. He's articulate. Hammett. Uh, thank you very much for coming, Israel, to share your uh, experience, strength, and hope for 10, 15 minutes. Then maybe pick a topic if you like, and uh, we'll make it a round robin. You can pick somebody to start sharing. So go ahead and take it away, Israel. All right. Well, thanks for uh, having me out here. Uh, my name is Israel. I'm an alcoholic. So uh, this is my first uh, Zoom meeting ever. So <laughs> bear with me. Um, but it is interesting that, um, that I was asked to share this specific, uh, meeting. So today is the nine year anniversary of my dad passing away. Now, normally, you know, that'd be enough to send me off and be drinking and I'd be like, you know, just being miserable and sad for the whole day. But, uh, you know, I couldn't drink today because I had this meeting tonight and mm -hmm. I definitely, you know, that wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't wash. So I had uh, a nice sober day and uh, it was all right. I had some friends reach out to me, you know, make sure I was all right. And that was kind of cool. So, but what I've been thinking about <clears throat> just recently is um, I remember when I was first uh, coming in to, to AA, it was years ago. And 
some of you may remember I was kind of a, a wreck <laughs> back then. And uh, I remember sitting in, in, in some of the meetings and some of the old timers would say, you know, these are guys that had like 20, 25 years, 15 years, whatever, sobriety. And I would listen to them say, oh, I would trade my 15 years or 20 years for your 20 days anytime. And, like, I never knew what they were talking about. It made no sense to me whatsoever. I'd be like, what the hell are they talking about? Like, are they, like, condescending me? You know, because I took everything personally at, at that time. So I was like, what? I don't even understand that. I didn't understand it until just recently. I was thinking back to that, to my first year of uh, of sobriety and all the stuff. I was, and now, like I said, I was, like, it was maddening and anxious. And I screwed up a lot. I had five relapses that first year. I know I drove my poor sponsor crazy. Um, and I did everything wrong that first year. You know, they were like, yeah, get a sponsor. And I was like, you know what? I'll sponsor myself. I don't need, I don't need, I don't need a sponsor. I'll do it myself. And, uh, you know, the only reason I have the sponsor I do now is because you just kept calling me. And I, I didn't know, I didn't know why you kept calling me. I'm like, what does I want? You know, I didn't understand that like people could just be, you could just care about me because, you know, I was going through a lot of shit at the time, you know? And they were like, you know, work the steps. And I'm like, well, you know, I'll, I'll sample the steps. I'll, I'll do this one. I'll do that one. But I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. You know, I just I just fought it the whole way. And, you know, they told me, you know, don't don't get a don't be in a relationship your first year of sobriety. <laughs> and I went and got engaged to a woman I knew for three weeks. You know, and uh, some of you guys remember that. But everything, you know, as crazy as it was. I would love to go back there again. You know, there was something about that time that's kind of like, um, I don't know, like just magical. You know, there was a, a level of hope that I had that, you know, I rarely experienced in, in my drinking life. And, uh, you know, I was just up for, you know, I, I would just do interesting stuff, you know. People would be like, hey, do you want to go for a hike? I'm like, yeah, let's go for a hike, you know, just out of the out of the blue. I didn't know there was a castle in Glendora until I went for a hike one day. And I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't know this was here, <laughs> you know. People would be like, hey, do you want to um, you want to go with me to the airport so I can get a, so I can pick up my, my rental car? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it, you know. Like, I was just up for, for, for anything, you know. And uh, like I said, it was, it, was, it was an interesting, really, like I said, magical time. And... I'm on Twitter now, and, I, and for some reason, the algorithm is, like, giving me a lot of people who are in recovery, you know? So I, so I see a lot of that. And, you know, there's people like, hey, I got like, my first day of sobriety. I'm seven days sober. I'm 30 days, whatever it is. And, you know, they get a lot of likes and people commenting. And I'm like, shit, I want some likes and comments, you know? Like, I want, I want to go back to that, that first year of, of, being, of being sober, you know? But uh, I get it now because, you know, I'm like, what, three – three years and a couple months sober. And it's become like, um, I don't want to say mundane, but it's just like a regular part of my life now. You know, I don't really think about being sober. I'm just like, yeah, I don't drink, you know. Like uh, my uh, my grandmother, we had her birthday party last last weekend. Yeah. And, um, you know, my family was over here and they're all big drinkers. They knocked back. My mom told me afterwards 10 bottles of wine between like five of them, right? And they were all just drinking, having, you know, fun time and everything. And there was no, there wasn't that desire 
before, you know, like when I was first sober, I was around people who were drinking and be like, oh man, you know, I could just like sneak one real quick. No one's going to know, you know, or I'd be like, yes, who cares? You know, let me, just, let me just have a couple of drinks anyway. But there was none of that, that, um, for me at all, you know, and it was really, it was really weird. Cause I was just sitting there watching these guys, you know, drink and laugh and everything. And I was like, am I missing out? I don't think I'm missing out, but you know, I had a good time. And, you know, things got a little dicey at times. You know, you get a bunch of Mexicans drunk together. There's bound to be some hurt feelings here and there. And there was a couple of times I thought things were going to kick off, but, you know, thankfully it didn't. And it was overall, it was, it was fine, you know. But, um, yeah, it's like it's just, it's just become a part of who I am. I don't really think about it too much, you know. Um, like I said, today's, you know, the anniversary of my dad dying. So I was thinking about it a little, you know, a little bit today. But even then, I was like, it's not going to change anything, right? It's not going to bring him back. So it's not going to make me feel any better. Well, maybe for a couple of minutes, but then I would feel miserable, you know, after that and the next day. And then I'd be like, well, shit, I just threw away like three years of sobriety for what? So I can feel bad, you know, I can feel bad sober, right? And uh, yeah, it's, it's just weird the, the the way I'm able to to deal with things that, that used to just push me over the edge, right? Like this, you know, my breaking my arm and having to go to physical therapy. And, you know, while I'm getting most of my, my um, range of motion back, it's still not, you know, I'm probably like at 50%, right? And I was thinking about this the other day. And I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to have to go back to surgery again or what are they going to do? And I started getting in that loop like, oh, poor me, you know, why has it happened to me? I had this one little, you know, instant like that, you know, I fell and broke it. Now I've got to deal with this for, you know, it's going to be in August a year, right? And like I said, normally that would, that would trigger me. And I'd be like, well, you know what, why even bother with this? I'm just going to go drink because my life's all ruined anyway. My arm's all fucked up. It's not going to be good for the rest of my life. I'm going to have problems with it, you know, and I'm not going to be perfect or whatever. And, you know, that, that the things that would normally, like I said, trigger me and, and, and push me over the edge don't do that anymore. I don't know if I'm like becoming more mature or I'm just like used to this shit or whatever, but it's like, I don't know. Sometimes I think like, who the fuck am I? Like, who, who the hell have I become? You know, like I'm certainly not the Zen master or anything like that. I still get angry at the drop of a hat. But, you know, I can control it a lot better. I'm not, like, screaming at people or, you know, you know cursing them out like I used to, right? Um, yeah, I'm not trying to pull people out of their cars or anything like that, like I did when I was in Glendora one time. But, you know, it's just it's just so much so much different now. I mean, the life is just, like, and it's not perfect by any, you know, by any means. I mean, I'm still stuck out here in Hemet, but... You know, it's it's a lot better than it was. I mean, just on a on a personal level, you know, I'm mean, I'm not self harming. And I come to realize that here's something that was, that was really interesting. When I was a kid, I used to I used to I guess they call it now self harm. I used to hit myself or bang my head against the wall and stuff when I was frustrated. And then when I was 18, I started drinking, and I stopped doing that. And it wasn't until I got sober. That for a brief moment, for a brief time, I started like, you know, hitting myself again, like getting frustrated and doing that kind of shit. And then it didn't occur to me until much later on that, oh, drinking is just another form of self-harm for me, you know, 
because the whole time I was drinking in my life, I didn't do that shit. But as soon as I stopped drinking, then those habits came back again, you know? And, um, yeah, just getting over that and, and dealing with those, those triggers and those, the emotions that I have from those particular triggers, right. Has been like a godsend. It's, it's, it's so weird. You know, like I see like my brother get mad or my mom get mad at the little shit. I'm like, who cares? You know, but I know a couple years ago that was totally me. Right. And that's one thing too. Like, I don't, even though I'm sober and like I'm, I'm around my family who drinks, I'm not like, Oh man, I can't believe you're doing that to yourself. And you just, you know, it's poison you put in your body. I'm not like that at all. Because when I see them drink and act a certain way, I'm like, Oh shit, that was me. I did that all the time. Like I go, these guys are an immense. <laughs> I was a total asshole. And, you know, like I said before, you know, when I was drinking, I thought I was just this lovable bastard, but it turns out I was just a bastard, you know? And, <laughs> and, but now, yeah, I, like I said, I see that now. And, um, I don't know. It's just, it's just weird, but I, I would love to, to, to go back to that, that first year and just have that, that kind of, really freedom, you know, because I don't know what the hell is going to happen the next day, you know, if I was going to be okay or, you know, climbing the walls or going out and getting drunk or whatever, you know, or breaking up or getting in a fight or whatever it was, you know, like it was, it was, everything was new, you know, the whole, you know, they said go to 90 meetings in 90 days, I think I went to like 130 in the, in the 90 days, you know, because I was just like up for anything, you know, like I went to two, three meetings of a day sometimes. And, uh, that that time was, like I said, it was really was really special, you know. And I know I can't ever get that feeling back again, those emotions and that and that kind of uh, excitement, you know. So I do understand when now when those old timers said, "I would trade my, you know, I trade with you, place with you in, in a second. And you know, now when I'm on Twitter, I'm kind of like, you know, giving out advice like I'm some sage fucking sober dude. But uh, I do think that I go, man, I would love to be you right now, you know, like starting this over again and like, you know, being amazed at the shit you were doing. And uh, yeah, but, you know, I don't know if I'm uh, technically an old timer. I feel like it because I'm getting old, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's a good day for me to be uh, in the Zoom meeting. So that's all I got. Thank you for letting me share Okay, great job, Israel. Thank you very much. So, I, you know, if you want to think of a topic or a theme for the meeting real quick and then maybe uh, pick somebody to start sharing and we will make it around Robin. Um, a topic, huh? I didn't plan for that part. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, a um, theme. How know? about, like, well, like I was saying, like triggers. Like what kind of, you know, how do you deal with the triggers now that used to set you over the edge when you were drinking? And I see my buddy Rochelle. How about we start with her? Hi, everybody. I'm Rochelle, an alcoholic. It's good to see you, Israel. Yeah. Like, long time no see. <laughs> and um, you sound real good. And I identified with everything that you talked about. And I remember when you came in and getting married and all that fun stuff. <coughs> I think. 
while you were getting married, I was getting divorced, right? All the things we're not supposed to do in the very beginning. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, as far as the trigger goes, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm just going to talk on whatever kind of happens, organically happens, right? I, I have a, a cup full of gratitude, not only for AA, but really all of you people, like the people of AA, the Fellowship of AA. And you guys are my home group, no matter if we're in Hemet or Arizona, right? It's the people that makes this thing keep on going. And, um, you know, <coughs> here's the thing. I learned a lot in AA. And in the beginning, like my secret thoughts that when I was tuned into AA and said not, and I don't mean my secret thoughts about my craziness and my feelings and all that stuff. That's the beginning, but there's no shortcut to the beginning, but my private thoughts were like, wow, I really like you people. Only, only I didn't really realize using those words. That's what I was feeling. Right. So there is an attraction there rather than promotion. And of course, everybody it's just the universal law you just love being around people who are joyful and happy I didn't say perfect I never once thought any of you were perfect but I always just liked the people and because I always also knew that nothing lasts forever my misery wasn't going to last forever and so those that would meet up after a meeting, the meeting after a meeting and like little restaurants and stuff. <clears throat> I know that they didn't do that just for me, but only because I, I mean, I just felt like it was just for me. Like people were showing up just for me, but intellectually I knew it wasn't just for me. It was for all of us. Right. I was just a part of, but I really needed it because of my personal life and what I was going through. I really needed just like burn up hours right? And be around other people who wanted the same thing, which really means my best interest. That's what you all wanted for me was just my best interest, right? And it was up to me whether I picked up the drink or not. So I knew that those dinners weren't going to last forever. I knew that I can't eat cheeseburgers every Saturday night, et cetera, et cetera. I knew one day I might have a boyfriend and then your life, your dating life turns around or I could die or I just know nothing lasts forever. So I really did try to make the best of the time that I had, which really was one day at a time. The desire that I had, and, and which really means just hope, because I was practicing uh, sobriety and getting my life back together, which really means healing my heart, my soul, just mending myself back together. So when I hear Israel share about what it's like now for him, um, I'm just hearing without, I'm just hearing a lot of healing going on and I can relate to that too. Right. I mean, I've always said there's no shortcut to the beginning. There's maybe a lot of shortcuts in life that we could take down the road, you know, especially with this day and age of technology, but sobriety and healing, it's a process. I mean, Every old timer knows that. I'm just saying, even I knew it as a newcomer. I just knew it wasn't always going to be, I wasn't always going to feel inside out, right? One day, like I've said before, I saw this lady at a podium and I said, one day I'm going to be her. 
and I was really talking to Merlin about her feelings. And, uh, you know, today I went to a meeting in Arizona and I don't know, I got kind of fidgeting antsy. I just got up 30, 40 minutes into it and split and went to a different meeting. And I was glad I did that because that meeting was kind of like going to like the 502 club meeting, those kind of like a real AA meeting, as opposed to just a bunch of old timers who are retired and, you know, they're they're You know, when you're an old timer, you're pretty much a respectful citizen, et cetera. Right. I don't know what, what, what made me do that, but I did it. And there was a lot of talk in there. Uh, kind of what were, what you were, everything you just said, Israel, just, and it brought me back to why did I not, why did I go back out? But how did I go back out? Like, what was this chain of events that caused me to basically, cause I'm an alcoholic. First of all, I drank because I was an, I'm an alcoholic. And then, you know, talking about your parties and all of that, and we don't recoil from it. And uh, the Latino culture and all of that, I can also identify with that. Um, I used to drive my husband around and his friends to all these wineries, and I, I was fine. But, but I started, when my life started becoming unhappy, that's called my relationship, and it just starts simmering. You little, little become more and more resentful. And then, I don't know, although I really didn't drink at the wineries with them, just one day, and I had a house full of booze, too, for years, because it just, I just, it, I just didn't bother me. But one day, and when I did ultimately drink, I wasn't bothered at all. I was washing my car in the front yard and thought, huh, a beer, a cold beer sounds good right about now. So somehow, even though that resentment was boiling and filtering up i didn't drink because i was bad i drank i mean i drank basically because i'm an alcoholic and any reason to drink and when the you and when the planets line up and shit's hitting the fan even though you don't know it's hitting the fan because i was still fighting everything so the promise is we steep we stop fighting we can don't recoil all of those things which i didn't i no longer have